Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah in Portland. And this is Dimity in Denver, Colorado. <laughs> so are uh, you getting back into the uh, school rhythm out there, Dim? We're working on it. We're working on it. It's, it's you know, it's always a tough couple first days. Um, but actually, we, so we start on a Wednesday. So that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is pretty easy. Mm-hmm. It's the first full week mm-hmm. of like, oh, this is what my life is going to be like <laughs> <laughs> for the kids, the realization of them setting in, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was funny, Ben. So Ben's in fourth grade now. And um, the first couple days, uh, the first day for sure, said, mom, all we did today was learn how to line up how to line up properly. He said, if that's all we're going to do in fourth grade, you're going to have to homeschool me. <laughs> you're like, I that's like, okay, not well, happening. I don't think that's good for either of us probably, but I, I'll take that into consideration. Thank you. <laughs> Fortunately, they've, they've progressed past lining up and now are doing quote unquote really hard math. So, oh. um, so we've got that, we've got a science project that's, oh. you know, already had to be queued up with a theme and oh just is that for Ben or Amelia I should not say we this is a whole thing it's not we it's it's them it's Amelia Amelia has a science project has to be all queued up so she's going to investigate you know the growth rate of carrots or something equally intriguing Mm. I don't even know (laughs) I'm like I whatever you need I'm here to drive you to the store if you need you know I'm here to answer any questions you might have but you are the you are the driver you are the pilot yeah yeah so this is actually our first full week school here in Portland we had Thursday Friday and now this is the first full week and um, I guess the big the big thing um, is that Phoebe this afternoon is um, trying out for um, it's not quite a production it's kind of a workshop and Uh um, so all my kids go to arts focus public schools as I've talked about before and so um, Phoebe's in eighth grade and so they kind of step things up for the eighth graders at this school and so she's in what's called master's drama and she had to try out for it I guess about 75 kids tried out for it and maybe about 25 of them made it so she was very excited about that and so now um, they are just kind of workshopping before doing um, a big production and so it is Shakespeare's, I believe it's a Midsummer Night's Dream, but it could be Much Ado About Nothing. I didn't quite read the paperwork super carefully. <laughs> <laughs> Something with that Bill Shakespeare. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. So, um, and it's not a tryout. Somehow they um, they just stand, like, I guess the person who is up is standing with their back toward a bunch of other people, and the other people kind of just throw comments or lines at them. And so it's somewhat improv and um, they just, that, or there might be several people who are up and, and she just keeps saying to us when she gets very exasperated with us, whether we don't understand it, is that um, it's to see how you all gel together as a group. I'm like, oh, oh okay. And so the girl we currently carpool with, um, she also is in master's drama. And so she's um, 
Uh, not trying out, not auditioning, whatever the verb I'm supposed to use. Not, not <laughs> yeah. quasi-gelling. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Gel, gel trying out, yeah. So I tried to get some details from both of them this morning. I thought, well, Rachel seems on top of things. She'll know stuff. And I was like, so you guys are going to you know, do this production at Oregon's Children's Theater? I don't know. Um, do you know when it's going to be? I don't know. <laughs> Like, all right, then I'll just wait for another piece of paper and pay a little bit more attention next time. <laughs> I know. I, it's, it's every, I mean, how, I mean, literally you could, I, I don't even ask how was your day anymore. Fine. <laughs> fine. What'd you do? Nothing. Was it exciting? No. Was it boring? Yes. Okay. Good. Good. I'm glad we're on track. <laughs> Keep it up the trends. I got to share a totally random story. So um, Jack and I, my husband, I, we both grew up on the East Coast, me in Connecticut, him in upstate New York, and where they have Wise Potato Chips. It's a brand of potato chips. And I'm sure some of the listeners are familiar with Wise Potato Chips. And so Jack is very much on Facebook. And I guess um, a couple weeks ago, he made some comment about how there's no Wise Potato Chips out here. So one of his fraternity brothers, who he's not even really in my estimation, all that close friends with sent him one of those big boxes like you get at Costco that has like 25, you know, kind of little snack size bags of wise, yeah, Yeah. yeah, of wise potato chips. And he was so stoked. Oh my goodness. He was just tickled pink and um, he, he loves the original flavor. So we had to squirrel those away so that the kids wouldn't eat them. Yeah. Did they, did they even know that they exist? Okay. Yeah. So they, they definitely, they don't know that those ones exist, but then all these other ones, you know, they have barbecue, they have, um, Oh, oh, I, I forgot that was a variety. Pack. Yes, it was a variety pack. And so oh. it was, um, so, and then they have cheese doodles, you know, which are different than Cheetos, which my kids adore Cheetos. They love those flaming hot Cheetos. And, um, so we can... Have you ever eaten a flaming hot Cheeto? Just as an aside, I've never put one in my mouth. Have you? I have not, but my kids adore them. Well, Just... that's, that's why I thought you might have tried. I mean, the idea of it is so... Repulsive. I mean, I know I'm getting off track. So finish, yeah, no, 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 that's story, fine. No, no. But I, well, I, awesome. I, let's have a conversation about the flavors of stuff now, because every time I go to the grocery store. Oh, my goodness. Oh, like the, the Reuben sandwich potato chips. Oh, it's <laughs> I mean, I'm like, who is this? And like, um, oh, my gosh, I think there was one that was like a cappuccino flavored Lay's. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. The like, Lay's. The is... Lay's has gone off the rails. Yeah. I mean, just crazy. That's, yeah. So it was oh. so funny because um, I, we're going to take now an aside to our an aside because when Phoebe and I were on our road trip up to Seattle to see Taylor Swift, um, we stopped somewhere to get something to drink and we saw all those funky flavors of Lay's and it was the first time either one of us had seen them. And we were like, oh, Barf, Reuben, oh, you know, coleslaw flavor or whatever it is. Yeah. And, okay, so we're like, ah, oh, who would buy those? We come home. Oh, the answer to that question is my husband. <laughs> he had bought the Reuben and then whatever else, the you know, I don't know what it was, you know, German oh. potato salad flavor, whatever. And I was yeah. just like, barf, Jack, who do you think it's going to eat these? And and they have disappeared. I don't know whether he ate them. I don't, I, I did not throw them out. I resisted that urge, but, or yeah. you know, put them in compost. And so, <laughs> so anyway, so the kids, they get these whys. And so I, um, you know, Jack was like, yeah, 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 sure. S- you know, share the other flavors with the kids. And so it turns out that the kids hate the cheese doodles. They, I, <laughs> I go to get down. I'm like, hey, kids, you know, you got the barbecue flavor today. Daphne's like, wise, I hate those potato chips. And I was like, whoa, okay. 
<laughs> like a, oh, that's so funny. Oh, I guess it must be old school, right? Oh yeah, I know. And then you know? and then um oh I was like, so John yesterday I gave them sour cream and onion flavor. I was like, so John, did you like the sour cream and onion flavor? He's like, Oh, I gave them to Treasure. She had forgotten to bring any snacks, so I gave it to her. And I was like, Okay, all right. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Okay, so I'm on my phone right now. It's 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 muted. So they have the Lay's have a do us a flavor. So uh, you get to vote for your thing. Reuben is one of them. Uh-huh. Biscuits. Oh, that was oh it's um gravy and biscuits. Biscuits and gravy. That's oh that was the other flavor that Jack bought. Yeah. Um Euro. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, that's how, that's how I say it. And then truffle fries. I mean, out of all those, I guess I would pick truffle fries just because oh. they kind of go with it. But I mean, you go down the chip aisle now, at, you know, my local King Supers, which is just like, you know, the basic supermarket. And it's like, it is amazing to me. Everything from like retro Doritos, right? And like mm-hmm. the packs that used to be, you know, from 1977 up to oh, like, yeah. Zuma, great big deal, da da da. You know, three times more dill. You know, shaped <laughs> like a pickle. Doritos. And you're just like, oh my gosh, are we are we Americans like that ADD that we can't just like buy? You know, just right. Some snuggle up chips? to some nacho cheese Doritos yeah. and call it good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you gotta. I mean, I realize it's a marketing game, but oh, I have to say, I think though, probably our Canadian listeners are probably like, oh, what are you talking about? We love our dill chips, and you know, when you go to Canada, they up until Lay's came out and all these other things came out, you go to Canada and be like, oh my gosh, look, it's ketchup flavored potato chips and dill. Yeah, ketchup and, flavored potato mm-hmm. chips. Oh yeah. Oh gosh, Jack loves driving through Canada. The um, about two, six <laughs> weeks into dating, Jack and I drove from Chicago, where he lived, to his parents' house in upstate New York, and so um, it's shortest to go like past Niagara Falls, and we were newly dating, and oh, isn't that romantic? Oh, so romantic. Yeah, we're in a barrel. Yeah, <laughs> and so we got a, f- a huge flat tire. Anyway, but um, so he, oh, he of course had to stop at you know the the quick the equivalent of the Quickie Mart and buy all sorts of flavors. So I was like, hmm. Mm-hmm. So I should, you know, I was warned. So I should, the signs right. yeah, were there. He, yeah, he is attracted to the uh, to yeah. the random flavors, but yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah. well, so we've gone around and around, but yes, yeah, school's back, and um, and so are we. Yes. We, we, but we never left. <laughs> we're still here on our weekly podcast. Um, and today we've got a super fun guest, an insightful guest joining us. Her name is Merritt Fisher. Um, both Sarah and I have known Merritt for years. We met her back in the day when um, I was the assistant editor at women's sports and fitness and sarah you were hired like as a contractor to do their gear guide right yeah, look at you remembering that yes uh-huh, oh. yeah. And, and so that i got to spend a weekend in boulder where the main headquarters was yeah and, and, and so- i was in new york but but boulder they uh, they're based in boulder yeah, yeah. Love a little aside about women's sports and fitness being based in boulder mm-hmm. um my i very much remember my starting salary was eighteen thousand dollars, and I was living in New York City. I was assistant to the editor. Eighteen thousand dollars. So by the other day, someone oh my physical therapist was oh how did you indemnity meet? So I'm telling her, and I'm like oh yeah, and I, you know I helped her get her first job, and I'm like and I think she made like seventeen thousand dollars a year living in New York. So I'll I'll rectify and let her know no it's, she hit eighteen. 18. Well, no, but then I was like you know I pulled out all my really slick you know professional negotiating skills, and I was like. I am living in New York. I need more money than that. And I got 19. <laughs> I I mean, so, I mean, I lived on H&H bagels, but that's a whole other story. Anyway, Merritt, she lived out in Boulder when she worked at Women's Sports and Fitness. Mm-hmm. She was a fencer at Notre Dame in college before becoming an endurance athlete, taking on Ironmans in the Leadville 100 mountain bike race. She describes herself this way on Twitter. Writer, hypnotherapist, Reiki practitioner, mama, lover of trail running, 
cookies and gerunds. Oh, that had to just soothe your soul, Pop. Oh, I know. Yes. I was going to call you Poppers, which is what I call Amelia. <laughs> um, gerunds. Uh, Merritt lives in Park City, Utah with her husband and daughter, Hazel. She's one of our 20 writers who contributed essays to our book, Tales from Another Mother Runner. And she'll read an excerpt from her essay in a little bit. But before we start chatting with Merritt, we're going to take a quick break. Welcome, Merritt. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. Great. So you've lived in some beautiful Western states and you're a lover of trail running. Tell us about your running background. Um, let's see. I started running uh, in junior high, I think, on the track team. And um, it was always just something I did to keep in shape for my other sports. I played soccer. Uh, and then in college, I was a fencer. And then after college, I just decided I didn't want to do anything else inside. I'm spending all those years essentially in the gym all cooped up so that's when I started triathlon and running and um, discovered after my love of long distance triathlon faded especially after becoming pregnant and not having a lot of time anymore that I really just loved running on the trails so that's what I've done and thankfully the places where I live are extremely welcoming to that passion. Yeah, so you live in Park City now, but you've also lived, tell us you've lived in Lander, Wyoming. Where else have you lived in the, oh, the cool places? Yeah, uh, I lived in Boulder, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Then I moved to Lander, Wyoming. I lived in Jackson, Wyoming, oh, right. and uh, Salt Lake, which is also extremely close to the mountains, and then decided to just move into the heart of them coming to Park City. That's great. That's great. Well, so what is it about trail running that draws you in? What, what, why do you love it so much? Mm. I love, it's rare that you will find me on a group run. And I think that I find so much pleasure in just being alone or being with my one running partner on the trail where I can really think and I can really connect with myself. And I love the difference in views that I get when I head out on my trail run even from the base of the trail to the summit or from the east side of the trail to the west and you know running through the seasons there's never a day that the trail is even the same so I do try to mix it up I, I do try to get on different trails but even if I end up on the same trail it's it's just never the same and, and I love that Nice, nice. So you you mentioned your best running friend, who mm -hmm. we know is named Kathy. Yeah. And, and it um, seems like you and Kathy go on some crazy running adventures together. So We do. So what's your favorite one that you've schemed up? Um, well, we started running together when we were training for the Trans Rockies, um, and that was three years ago now. We were sponsored by the company we both worked for at the time, Backcountry.com, to go and represent the company among all those amazing runners. And we really found that the journey for us was not the race. It was all those months of training every morning together, sometimes most of the time running 10 miles before work. Mm. Wow. Um, not even before work, before 7.30 when my husband got up and I had to start being a mom and getting, you know, everything ready for the day and then my going to work. Um, and we just found that we were, we were so compatible and the compatibility wasn't just in the pace that we ran or our ability to know when to talk or when not to talk, but it, it really, the foundation of it was just in showing up 
if we said we would be at the trailhead at 5.30 a.m., we were there and it was without fail. And it's still that way, even you know, years after not necessarily training for a competition, but training to do these big adventures together because we love them so much. So what? So tell us about some of your adventures because I sure. love hearing about them. It's good vicarious living. <laughs> <laughs> um, another favorite of mine was when we just we both figured out that we had a free weekend in September, and we hopped in the car and we drove to California and we ran a 33 mile section of the Pacific Crest Trail, uh, really not knowing all that much about it, just knowing that. At one end, there was an access point, and at the other end, we could find people to um, hitchhike with and get home. So <laughs> that's what we did, and it was it was really great. And it, it was so funny, that trip, because we had this whole idea of how it was going to go, and it was completely shattered because we got to the top of this crest, and we thought, okay, great, now 10 miles down, that's going to be so easy. But the 10 miles down took us longer than the 20 miles up because <laughs> it was so technical and so rocky. And, you know, we, we both explored some emotions on the way down. <laughs> it was definitely a, a bomb, bonding experience for us. And, and the getting home part, too, because hitchhiking, of course, wasn't easy. Um, so, yeah. Did you, did you get a ride? Well, finding a ride from the trailhead was was fine. We found a nice couple that was really willing to put two grotty girls in the back of their truck with their grotty dog. Um, but they were only going so far. So they dropped us off in uh, Tahoe City, I think. And, and we just went to the side of the road and put our thumbs out. And so many cars drove by full of families. Mm. And I was thinking, you know, I wouldn't stop either. <laughs> <laughs> if I had my kid in the car, there's no way I would stop for these two grungy girls to get in. So finally we called a cab and we got home. Oh my gosh, I it's can't a, believe you found a cab out there. Oh, it's the kind of place where you have to call and then a half hour later, like they'll send someone to find you because it's not like... Oh yeah, know, oh yeah, I realized you weren't going to hail it, but I can't even believe they actually had taxis there yeah. at all. Yeah, well, and, and considering it was about $150 fare to get us back to where we started, it was, I think it made it a little more attractive for potential. Yeah, sure, customers. sure. And then how long was the drive to and from Utah to California? Oh, it was about, oh, I think it was about 10, 11 hours. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and did you, did you spend the night on the trail? Like, did you carry no. like a, no, you just ran the whole time. Yeah, yeah. We just packed. Oh. And it's so funny. We both talk about our, like our emergency, like preparedness kicks in and, and we know we're going to do this big long run. It's not supported. We don't really know anything about the, well, that makes us sound, sound stupid. We, we do know like elevation gain and loss and we know, you know, where we want to be at certain times. So we do put thought into it, but you know, there are always unknowns when you're going out on a, on a, on a un, unsupported trail run. And so we pack these packs and, and really just cram them full of food. <laughs> like, I yeah. want four Snickers bars. And, you know, <laughs> I don't ever eat Snickers when I run. But somehow, like, it's really, really important to take four Snickers bars on <laughs> excursions. 
Oh yeah. my gosh, it's sort of like when you pack for a relay race and you're like, yeah, oh, we need all this, we need all this orzo salad, we need a, two loaves of banana upper and all this stuff. It's like, oh yeah, we're really kind of only out there for 30 hours and I don't eat uh, all that much food in one yeah. day and I'll be sleeping. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, and really like, and then there's the whole nauseous factor, like, mm-hmm. oh, I really don't feel like eating. I think I have to get something down to, you know, keep my energy up and I, oh, I think I can do like a saltine. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and I don't even have one, and I don't want to. Yeah, no, and I brought four Snickers bars. <laughs> wow, wow! No, you don't sound dumb. You sound like adventurous. I mean, I, you know, like that. That sounds like a really fun adventure. I mean, you know, because the more you know, the more you plan, sometimes the less—not the less fun it is—but you know, you left you left the window open for a lot of unknowns, which right, um, right. And of okay. the two of us, Kathy is the planner. I am not. I don't. Uh-huh. I think I was thinking about it this morning because I, I have this opportunity to do a, a, the 25 hours of Frog Hollow coming up um, in November. And what is that exactly? That is a, a 25 hour mountain bike race. And uh, I have a friend that wants to do it as a foursome. And, and that sounds totally reasonable. I've done these before as, as a duo and I don't want to do that right now. So I'm like, okay, a foursome, that sounds good. And now I'm trying to find people to do it with us. And, and, the answer is is almost always no. <laughs> like, what <are> these people? <laughs> like, and so I started thinking about it. Why do I do this? And I think the answer is I I'm an athlete who's always game. I will I'll try it right, and it could suck. It could be so bad, but really, you get to the end and you look back and you're like, wow, I did that. I don't know if I'll ever do that again. But <laughs> I might have learned my lesson, but I had a good time and I'm glad I have it in my, you know, in my little athletic resume now, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and the whole like I don't know if I'll ever do it again seems to be completely focused on exactly what I did. So <laughs> I mean, I may not do Leadville 100 mountain bike race untrained again, but sure I'll do another 100, you know, at some point. Wow. But I'll be trained for it. Wow. Wow. And so for the, so just to clear up people's thoughts about, so the 25 hour race, you all take turns. So it's not like the four of you are riding four abreast, you know, or whatever, one behind the other. It's you take, you'll ride for two or three hours and then, and then hand off to the next teammate. Right. And, and I think that a lot of your listeners have done Ragnar. Mm -hmm. It's very similar. Mm -hmm. Just right. Yeah, but that yeah, but you just stay on one course. You just do a loop, right? And then you you know you check in or you keep going. I don't depends upon the race, but mm-hmm. you can do like two loops. You can trade off to a teammate. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, so do you? So you talked about the Trans Rockies, which I get. Explain that a little bit, just because that's another awesome adventure that can get people's minds worrying. Oh, oh my gosh! And yes, if anyone is interested in doing it. I strongly encourage you. Um, It is a six-day stage race, and it takes place in the Colorado Rockies. Uh, I can't tell you now which towns it goes through, but I know Leadville's one of them. (laughs) You know, like I I told you, I'm not the planner. Like, I'll show up, and I'll go. Be like, oh, this is cool. And I, you know, then I can't really, it's just not how my mind works. (laughs) I can tell you a lot about the trail. (laughs) But um, you go from point to point, and um, the incredible staff of the Trans Rockies race takes your duffel bag and sets up your tent in the next location. That's so key. All you're, yeah, all you're really responsible for is getting yourself from point A to point B. 
um, in as good a shape as you can. And it is um, between 120 and 130 miles. I think they aim for 120 and I think we did 130. <laughs> you know, you, you sometimes get off course or decide to take a little detour for a view. Nice. Sure, sure. And that was it. So, and so, like, describe a typical day there. You get up at what time? You're like, you're running by what time and you're done by what time? I realize that there's no, you know, it varies, but. Yeah. Um, I think they're pretty civilized start times of about 7 a.m. Um, and you get up, and of course, so not only do they take your tent and your duffel bag, but they have a mess tent and they have great. Uh, chefs or a team of uh, chef and a team of supporting people that create food for you. So you just get up and you make your way to the food tent and you eat what it is that you need to fuel yourself for the day. And then uh, hustle back to your tent, get all taped up and ready to go, pack your pack and head to the starting line. And then you go. Um, So it's like, it's like you would have a 17 mile race one day, a 13 mile race one day, a 20 mile race one day. Um, and so they break it into kind of digestible chunks, um, through beautiful, beautiful mountains on incredible trail with just the most amazing people. I mean, you really, I think my favorite part was the family I got out of doing that race. We still all keep in touch, you know? Yeah. It's really, really good. So Dim, I think we have to admit that, um, for a very brief moments, you and I were going to do the Trans Rockies when that started. That when you contacted me way back in, um, you know, the the mid two thousands, and and you were like, hey, let's do a marathon together, and we pitch it to Runners World, of two busy moms juggling training, and then we want we pitched that we were going to do the Nike Women's Marathon. They already had someone, had some writers doing that. So you and I were like, well, let's write about us doing the Trans Rockies, and. <laughs> I mean, and then you and I both, and they were like, yeah, sure, that's a great idea. And then we're, we both went off on our own and thought, what are we thinking? <laughs> it was the first year of it. That's the thing. So it would have been, you know, yeah. that was the very first year of it. So it would have been a, a fun story. Not quite as, I know, I realize it's not well known now, but it was, you know, less well known then. So, yeah. Wow. And, but, it's, on, but, it's on my bucket list for sure. Wow. But it also has that kind of, in my mind, it has kind of that amazing race quality because you're a, most of the racers are duos. So that yes. you so that you can only go the speed of the slower teammate, and right. that it's working together and cooperating and all that stuff. And um, yeah, I can't believe I didn't mention that. Yeah, it's not like the relay, like Ragnar or uh, one of the twenty four twenty five hour mountain bike races. But you run the entire time with your partner. Yeah. Yeah. You have yeah. to be within like what a hundred feet of each other or something like that. Yeah, or, or so. Um, what we found too is that there are checkpoints, and uh, some runners would wait for their partner before the checkpoint so um, that they could be together for that. But Kathy and I were just so compatible, and we really fed off each other. And we found that when one of us was suffering, the other wasn't. And it kind of is inevitable the way that works. And being together, we were so much stronger than separating and meeting up at the checkpoints. But we also got along, and there were some other people on the. You, you definitely overheard some. <laughs> good. It all comes out on the trails, right? And no. unfortunately, you know, it's married couples and father and son, and you know, so you're like, okay, so on the ten year running of this race, I wonder if they'll still be together. <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Well, and with the elevation change, I have to say that was ultimately what scared me off. You know, I, I live at 63 feet or something like that. So I think I'd still be clinging to a rock there. You know, I don't know however many years later it is, eight, nine years later. Oh. <laughs> Sarah, I know you, and I know that you wouldn't be clinging to a rock. You'd be putting one in your pack to make it a little more challenging. Oh, I'd be lying under it. I'd be (laughs) cowering behind it, maybe, so that Dimity would be like, oh, I lost Sarah. I'm like, sweet. Okay, now I can turn around and get a ride from that guy who's, you know, bringing all the duffel bags along. Where's the sag wagon? The answer, Sarah's a goner. Oh. A bottle of really good booze, those two. So it's good to get in with them. And if you ever did need a ride, <laughs> it would be fun. <laughs> um, so well, let's let's get to the reason, one of the main reasons we brought you on, which is to um, read from your essay. And, and your essay in Tales from Another Mother Runner is in the joy section of the book, yet it's entitled A Ghost Story. And, and that might mm-hmm. seem like a contradiction, yet it's not. So tell us a bit about your essay, please, before you um, read from it. Sure. Um, Years ago, I realized that when I am running out there alone on the trails, or even sometimes with Kathy, you know, we're so compatible, we have long periods of silence, I would hear voices in my head. And it wasn't ever scary. It was more memories or, or voices from my past that were often very, very encouraging. And it really, I I started to really focus on the the spiritual side of running for me. And this essay is an exploration of not only that spiritual side, but of the voices that I've heard in in the times that I've been running out there alone. Nice. And so when you, I have to say, when, when you hear the voices, you actually hear their voices in their voice, not just the words that you think maybe they'd say to you, but in your right. own voice, you hear it in their voice. Right, right. Mm-hmm. right. And, and I have since learned that not everybody can do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I didn't know, you know, like, oh my gosh, so this is how I get to talk to grandma. <laughs> Here's how you can talk to grandma too. But, <laughs> but I have, I, I, I really believe now that I do have a gift and I can hear spirit voices in my head and 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 thankfully they're all really nice to me so (laughs) so yeah that it yeah it's interesting and and I do think that there are people out there that have the ability to hear spirits talking to them and thankfully running is meditative enough for me that that is where it happens most nice do you want to read a little bit from your essay I'd love to awesome I will be singing and I warn you <laughs> My voice is not so good. It's Thankfully, not meditative. It's not no. meditative. <laughs> and the voice I'm impersonating was not so good either, so it works. <laughs> All right. I'm going to read to you guys from the middle of my essay. There's more to welcoming ghosts than just being open. In the years since my first ghost run, I've learned a few more things about how to do it. If you want to run with ghosts, you have to run alone. If you've got company, your ghosts are not going to interrupt. They only want to talk to you. The distance of the run is irrelevant, and so is the tempo. It's all about the rhythm you create and fall into. The heartbeat and footfall of running both eases your mind and sends out the invitation. Also, you have to be in your element. I personally have to be on trails. 
I feel at home on the ones I've traced a hundred times, but I find the same sense of familiarity on new trails too. Part of this is the calm I feel when I'm doing what I love. Part of it is the ingrained muscle memory of moving myself up switchbacks and over rocks and fallen trees. And part of it is the collective subconscious of all trails everywhere. It's like they're all kin and I'm a friend of the family. It's not always easy on a run to achieve the open state of mind that allows ghosts to visit. Runs are a time to think of work, relationships, kids, what to make for dinner. Just like when you're running with company, ghosts won't interrupt when you're processing your day. Sometimes, ironically, distraction lies in the very activity that enables ghosts to come in the first place, running. Running is the invitation when you're feeling good and your movement is effortless, but sometimes running hurts. On those bad days when it's hard and your body won't cooperate, your mind will most likely be transfixed on your physical self. It won't be open. If you can't transcend the distraction, there will be no ghosts. Just to be clear, running with ghosts is not a freaky possession type thing during which I run down the trail with my eyes rolled back in my head, mumbling holy gibberish from frothing lips. It's peaceful. I'm contemplative. And I look completely normal or as completely normal as any endurance runner looks while in the act. The only evidence of ghosts is in my mind. They fill my head, and then I make sense of why they're there. It is a two-way deal, though. I'm running along, tuned into listening, ready to understand, and then they come. Since my first ghost, most of them have been a whole lot less weighty. Grandma Florence, for example, in her monogrammed dresses and costume jewelry, was a senator's wife with strong opinions and an impenetrable deflector shield against casual chit-chat. She thought I was the best thing since Tab and Oreos, though, and we were quite a pair. In the last few years of her life, there were several times she snapped out of her melodic state of delirium to share lucid, relevant insights about things in my life she should have had no idea about. She was so out of it the rest of the time that it would have been easy to dismiss this as crazy talk, but it wasn't. She was somehow connected to me. These days, Grandma Florence comes around occasionally to let me know I've figured something out. I'll be running along, contemplating a recent decision, and suddenly I'll hear her belting out in her not very good singing voice, Hello, Dolly. Well, hello, Dolly. It's so nice to have you back where you belong. Grandma Florence, Louis Armstrong, and I used to sing her favorite song together in her living room with Louis in the form of black vinyl spinning on her 1960s cabinet turntable. When I hear her now, I know for certain that whatever it was I was doing wrong, I'm doing it right now. Frank, though, is quiet. I don't hear my stepdad talking. I just sense him. Sometimes I see him, too, the way he was before cancer, all healthy and sun-brown with curly gray hair spilling out under his fishing cap, wearing his I'm-so-proud-of-you grin. Before he died when I was 16, he taught me how to camp and how to cook, how to be tough and how to laugh at myself. 
how to tell stories and how to sit without talking for hours, how to drive a car and how to run softly on the earth with quiet feet. Frank, if only through his silent, peaceful presence, has a lot more to share with me that will help me buff my roughs and sharpen my dulls. And I welcome him as long as he wants to come. That's, I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I also I forgot how much I love hearing the contributors of Tales from Another Mother Runner read their essays out loud and really make them come to life. So thank you for sharing that. You're so welcome. I have to say, when I was editing, and every time she thought I was, you know, the best thing since Tab and Oreos, I just love that line. <laughs> I love that line. And I always flash back to the pink can with, like, the pull top, you know. Oh, and, uh, oh, uh, oh. you know, gave, created cancer or whatever it did. I don't know, you know, all the chemicals <laughs> in it. But um, but Tab, it's just, it's such a good, and that, and then and sharpen, sharpen your roughs. What yeah. was it, sharpen? Yeah, buff my roughs and sharpen my dolls. Yeah. Sharpen your dolls, yeah. Buff my roughs. That's what we need to do. So, Merritt, what has been the reaction from friends, families, or acquaintances about your essay? I mean, it, it is somewhat um, untraditional, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, really supportive. The, the thing to know is that I recently, I think actually this essay had a lot to do with my huge career change that I'm making right now. I recently left a lifetime in marketing and PR and literally like 20 years. And so not my lifetime, but someone younger. You know. <laughs> <laughs> a college student, say. <laughs> yeah, you know, nobody that's probably listening to this. <laughs> um, and decided to become a hypnotherapist and a Reiki master. And so I am now a licensed hypnotherapist and I'm continuing my training to do regression therapy, which really helps people um, get to the, the root cause of issues that they're having in their lives um, by sometimes taking them back to their childhood and sometimes taking them back into past lives. And this essay really, um, I think when I figured out that not everyone can talk to spirits, <laughs> I was like, oh, so maybe I have a gift. Um, and and that's the path I'm on now. So by no means does this essay seem uh, not, you know, it, it kind of fits in with what I'm doing right now for all my family and friends. Yeah. Well, and you say, you, um, say on your LinkedIn profile that the idea came to you while you were driving a rental minivan down a rural Illinois highway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, How's so that? tell us about that situation. <laughs> I know, and I'm kind of like, wow, that red tail hawk, you know, circling over the summit of some gorgeous peak would have been so perfect for me. Because, you know, <laughs> but it wasn't. Um, my husband and I were traveling, and, and my little girl, Hazel, um, we were traveling back and forth to Illinois a lot that year because my husband's dad was dying of cancer. And on one of the trips back before he did pass away in July, it was in May, we had this little Ford minivan, which I really got a kick out of. I tell you what, I was really into that. I don't have a minivan, and, and I would like one. Um, but we were listening to the radio, and this voice kind of popped into my head. And, and the voice said to me very clearly, you know, like, like voices do say to me very clearly, uh, you need to help people live better and die without fear. And I said, okay, that's, you know, that sounds better to me. At the time, I was... Uh, 
I was marketing Las Vegas. I was travel. I was the VP of marketing for a, an online travel agency based in Las Vegas, and my job was to get people to Las Vegas. And um, it wasn't a fit for me. Uh, and it's like a, I mean, it's like a one eighty. Just just even if you don't know you, like yeah. hearing your voice and the way that you talk and the way that you you know express things. I mean. You know, like you're like about 180, 180 degrees from Las Vegas in my mind. Uh, yeah, and but you know, I I want to be sensitive because I know there are a lot of people probably listening to this that live in Las Vegas, and you oh, know, sure, 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 it's the glitz and the glitz and glam that isn't quite quite yeah. your scene. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. the strip. And, and you know, before that, I had spent so many years marketing uh, in the you know in the outdoor sports industry, like you ladies. And really, I was marketing stuff, but I always could tell myself that I was marketing the lifestyle, and I really believed that. But I couldn't, I, I couldn't get into either marketing the stuff of Vegas or the lifestyle of Vegas, and it wasn't a fit for me. But I do think that that, that is was the perfect time for me to then be presented somehow with this. You know, you need to help people, and saying yes. And so I said yes, and I. I got the voice also said, you know, how about hypnotherapy? And I was like, I had no idea what it was. I was like, uh, okay, <laughs> I guess I better do a little research. <laughs> but it, it, I love it, and I am helping people, and it, I feel fulfilled every day. Nice. So, so that that phrase, helping people live better and die without fear. Um, mm -hmm. On the on this podcast, I've talked several times about my elderly parents. Um, they're coming up on ninety, and um, so that that comment really resonates with me. Um, so, can you dive into that idea a bit? Sure. Um, I I my belief system is based on the idea that we all have within us the power to over overcome anything that this life throws at us. We are incredibly powerful, beautiful souls that can dig deep when we need to, um, when given the ability to access that strength. And so my work is really focused on helping people eliminate barriers to their own source of strength within. And part of dying without fear is coming to understand that we do all die, but we can face that finality with such grace and such emotional stability when we really see ourselves as the whole people that we are, you know, having lived through these amazing lives and overcome so many challenges and and knowing also that um, I believe uh, that that final breath that we take is simply an opening um, into whatever comes next, you know? Yeah, I think about that a lot with my father, who um, is the infirm one uh, in my parents' relationship. He's um, the one with the most health problems. And sometimes I feel he just seems very wrapped up in the fear of what comes next mm -hmm. and that they, that um, my dad is, an, I won't talk too much about, but my dad's an only child and his entire, I've said before, his entire world revolves around my mother. And mm -hmm. I think he is so afraid of being without her in whatever that next step is. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just so desperately want to help him overcome that. 
And but right. but yet, I don't know. That seems a hard conversation to have. Um, for sure, and I think it is hard for some older people who maybe don't have um, because of cultural upbringing or societal upbringing don't have a more expansive view of the soul of, of what happens to us when we die and how liberating it is actually to be in spirit form and so much bigger and, and freer than in our bodies, you know? Um, and that's a challenging, challenging conversation to have with anyone who doesn't just believe that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, in my work, I work with people of all different religions, um, and really the message is the same, whether you're Catholic or Latter-day Saint or Jewish, and, and that is that, you know, it's wonderful what you believe. And yes, you in this life, you, you are so committed to your belief system and to the people around you, in the case of your father being so committed to your mom, um, but maybe helping them see that once they are beyond their body, they can have so much freer access to your mom and to everything beyond. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's all yeah, I think, very I think, hard to talk about, you know? <laughs> I know. I, th- I think he sees what, what is beyond as just this dark room yeah. that he won't have her there with him. And, the, yeah. and I think that thoughts just scares him beyond belief. And it is scary. It is scary. And I feel very grateful that that's not what I believe. And because I've seen it, you know, part of the reason I think I got this message was when Barney was dying and Barney was afraid and he was, um, you know, raised, born and raised in the Midwest. He was a mechanic his entire life and lived his life really, um, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And he lived his life so greatly that way. And he had, you know, when we had his wake, there were people like out looped around the parking lot, you know, just wanting to come and tell us how wonderful Barney was, you know? So he lived such a good life, but he didn't, it, knowing what was beyond was, there was nothing there. And so he was afraid and he was hanging on so hard. Mm-hmm. And outliving several prognoses, and he just did not want to let go until he could not hang on anymore. And I saw that, and I thought, you know, I, 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 my figuring out my belief system is an ongoing process, right? But I just did not intrinsically believe that we just die and there's nothing more. And I think that's because I've heard voices my whole life and on my runs and, and other times. I just couldn't believe that that was the end. And so, you know, through my work, I, I try to help people understand that it is, it is extremely possible and, and highly probable that we live on as souls. And that helps people ease into death. Well, I think you have found your calling because I think just hearing your voice and the thoughtful way in which you speak and choose your words and express um, you know, your opinions and, and thoughts, really, it, you seem like the perfect person to be doing what you're doing. Thank you. Definitely. I agree 100%. Yeah. So, and you guys have known me a long time. <laughs> you know, we have, we have, we have in the intro, we, we said in the intro, I mean, we met you back in Boulder 20 years ago when you're we all at various stages at Women's Sports and Fitness Magazine. So it's been, it's been a, a very fun journey, a fun friendship for all of us to kind of see where we've all ended up. 
I know. It's so cool. It's been so wonderful watching your the two of your careers. It's and how they've come together too, you know? Twenty years ago would we have guessed this? Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, right? They're like hopping and puffing along the flat irons. No, I don't think so. No, I and I love so. the inspiration that you both are to everyone you touch. It's so remarkable seeing what this has become. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Mary. Thanks, mm-hmm. sweet girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, and thank you so much for joining us. This was really a special conversation. Thank you. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. I could just listen to her voice all day long. She's so thoughtful and engaging. I mean, even if you don't believe in hearing voices in the spirit world and all those things. I mean, just the way that she says them is so lovely. I mean, she could be like reading a recipe and I'd still be like, oh, what's next? A quarter cup of flour? Like, you know, no, no. she has such a um, mellifluous calming voice. Yes, she and, definitely does. Yeah, yeah. And if people, and I, could, I think and if people said, could see her, she's also just as beautiful on the outside as she is on the inside. She's just a truly all around beautiful person. So Yes, she is. She is. And I liked a lot. I mean, I don't know that... Um, it will be hard to relay that message to your dad, but I feel like that that was some really um, nice insight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know how much of it I'm projecting on him, but um, I just, I mean, the, the the it's it's almost like he's physically clinging to her. Um, sure, sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's scary. I mean, it's definitely scary. Oh, it is. And then, and then every time I count my dad out, then then just give him a couple minutes and he totally rallies. <laughs> it's like, yes. come down swinging. All, all right. We're staying in this death trap of a house for a few more years, people. <laughs> Boy, keep it interesting. Keep Sarah on her Hi, this is Molly from Portland, Oregon, and my best running friend is Sarah Bowenshay, who I love for so many reasons. But as a running partner, one of the things I love about her is that she knows my running well enough that she can encourage me to do more than sometimes I think I'm capable of. And she also knows that I'm mentally a little bit afraid of things, and she encourages me to go beyond my comfort zone, which has really helped me um, a lot in life in a lot of ways. And I probably wouldn't be trying a triathlon when I'm afraid to put my face in the water if it hadn't been for Sarah encouraging me in running. And hey, one thing has led to another and I think I can do more than I can. A lot because of you, Sarah. I love you. I'm so glad I have you as a running partner and I'm glad you're getting better. We're getting ready for Best Running Friend Week at AMR. Do you have a tribute to your best running friend you want to share? Create a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to us at runmother at gmail.com. Well, so let's let's round that corner in your death trap house yes. and um, head over to the challenge corner. Um, Christy Miller Parko, who is in the marathon challenge, totally cracked me up. I had to share this. This will be a little levity at the end of a pretty intense conversation. Um, she said, mom moment. At mile 10 of my 16 mile this morning, I decided to take a quick trip into the drugstore I was passing to get sunscreen and ice cold water. The sunscreen was BOGO, which you know we love, buy one, get one. 
well, you all know sunscreen isn't cheap, so of course I had to get two. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm using the excuse that the extra weight made the last six miles extremely tough. The sun and heat didn't help either. But I couldn't pass up the deal. Lesson learned. Get the sunscreen on before you walk out the door. <laughs> and uh, she lives in Rancho Santo. I don't know. Rancho Santo Margarita, California. Is that oh. it? There's so many vowels in there, but I think that's the name of it. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. So um, um, so bright California sunshine. So it's probably California a smart move. Yeah. yeah. But I just love like one, you know, I just have this visual of like her holding like a, a tube of banana boat, one in each hand <laughs> as she like runs home, you know? See, but I think it balanced her out, you know, instead of holding, you know, those four ounces just on the left side you know just she, one. Yeah, yeah exactly it's like oh i gotta get the deal i gotta save six bucks or whatever which i would totally do too but six yeah. miles and, i would probably uh, stash it somewhere. i was just gonna say i probably would have yeah found a little bush outside and and hidden them and i would have hidden both bottles after i used some from the one and then hope yes. they were there when i got back yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally totally um and the song for this week is um uh, is called spaceman by the killers which is um not the newest song ever but um i have to tell you i was out Monday morning running. So what my, my routine that I try to do like once a week is I go to Orange Theory Fitness, which is, you know, a combination of like treadmill intervals, strength training and rowing machine. And I mean, usually the running is two miles or less. It's, it's, it's intense running for sure, but it's not super long. Um, and I just kind of feel like I like to like mostly I like to delay my time coming home. But I also <laughs> like just there's like something about um, the franticness of it sometimes that I'm like, oh, I don't really get the same kind of peaceful feeling that I get when I'm just out for a run by myself, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. when you're like, you know, in a rhythm sure. and you're the not having something to tell you to, to go. So, um, so I, I call it running on, if you see my, if you watch my Strava account, which I'm sure everyone has time to do, but <laughs> I call it running in a triangle because there's this like three mile run that I can do from orange theory. That's basically a triangle. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was running in my triangle uh, on Monday morning and the song came out and there's one part where you're just going downhill and it's just so lovely. And like the sun was just coming up, you know, we're at the time of the year where it's dark yeah. <laughs> it's, it's morning, <laughs> you know, so I went to, I went to a five o'clock orange fitness. Oh fitness my goodness. Class, so don't even get me started on the four o'clock alarm. <laughs> but then I was running from like six to six thirty, uh-huh, and, nice. um, and the sun was just coming up and it was just like. I mean, I, I almost got teary and, you know, just the song, I, I don't even know, but there was just something about the song and just the moment and running downhill and the cool air and well, it all I knew came that together. the week was going to start out well, yeah, you know, when you nice. do that on a Monday morning. So yeah, nice. anyway, so hopefully Spaceman brings you the same kind of vibes if you're out running right now. Well, let's wrap this thing up. And, and if you feel like having a bit more of us, you can find us on Facebook. Our account is Run Like a Mother, the book. We would appreciate if you'd like it. Um, you can see me in person if you feel like it. And you, if you're in the uh, western northwestern part of the country, I'll be at Happy Girls Spokane along with our pal Jana. That is um, the, the race itself is September 26th. And then... As people know, uh, I'm going to be in Chicago and you are going to be in Hartford, Connecticut, giving a talk on October 8th and then being at the Hartford Expo. So we got a lot of good stuff coming up. Yeah. Um, how, do, how do you feel about going back to the scene of the crime, the ankle break? <laughs> um, I think I will not go down the slide. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> no, but um, well, it's funny because there's this restaurant that Jonna and I ate at with the um, Eric, the one of the organizers of the Happy Girls races. And we um, it's, it's great great pizza place i think it's called 
called Fire or Firestone or something. And um, it's right near the hotel where we stay. And we had the most hunky, hunky waiter last time. So I'm trying to focus on the positive and, you know, maybe you maybe having the same waiter. So <laughs> um, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and if you, and if the, um, if Merritt's essay really intrigued you, please check out our third book. It's Tales from Another Mother Runner. And our other two are Run Like a Mother and Train Like a Mother. And whether you're on road or trail or have spirits talking in your heads, many on your heads, how many heads do we have? Um, (laughs) Two, two of these here. (laughs) Right. Uh, Many happy miles to you. Mm